Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm your host, Jesse Bartholomew. There is a true crime case in the state of Kentucky that I have not covered, um, that I probably won't cover because it's very well known and it's covered really well on plenty of other shows. So I haven't felt the need to, to cover it. But I do want to mention before I get started with today's episode that there is an update in the Crystal Rogers case. Um, The FBI took over the case in 2020. And um, so what's happened is just in this past week, starting um, Tuesday, I think, they have uh, focused in on three homes in this subdivision where Crystal Rogers' boyfriend at the time was building homes. Uh, He was in the middle of construction on these houses at the time of her disappearance. And so the theory is that her body might be hidden somewhere on those properties. So it's my understanding that they are, they've either already done it or they're planning to excavate the driveways. Um, They have a cadaver dog on site. So they are definitely actively working this case. Um, I haven't heard any sort of results from this yet and of course even if they found something I'm not sure they would release it to the public right away anyway Um, but I just thought I would mention that because it is relevant obviously to Kentucky history and haunts and I figured my listeners would probably be curious to know so if you hadn't heard now you have and we can get started with part two of southern Appalachian folk medicine Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. On the last episode, we talked about remedies for respiratory and gastrointestinal issues. Today, we're going to start with epidemic diseases, and we'll start with malaria. Now, the go-to treatment, not just in southern Appalachia, but all over, was quinine. And quinine is still one of the things used in the protocol to treat malaria today. But the problem was that people in southern Appalachia didn't always have access to quinine. So they had to make some substitutes. Things like wild cherry bark tea, blue gin, willow bark, or corn fodder. They would also use calomel, which they believed would clear the system. But calomel is a problem. And it was used a lot, not just in southern Appalachia. For a while, it was a really common treatment for several ailments all over. But uh, calomel is basically mercury. Um, It can give patients gangrene of the mouth. And if you take enough, you'll eventually get mercury poisoning. So so not not great. Uh, The main preventative measure they would take during a malaria outbreak in their community was to just keep a fire burning in their homes at all times, all year round. Okay. Now, what about tuberculosis? If you want to know more fun facts about TB, you should check out the Waverly Hills episodes if you haven't already. If you have already listened to those, you may remember that 
Even doctors in more urban areas were coming up with some bizarre treatments and surgeries to try to deal with tuberculosis. Um, It was not a fun time. I mean, to be a patient was just very scary and, and miserable. So the bar was set pretty low, one could argue, uh, medically speaking. And in southern Appalachia, the best they could do was try to efficiently isolate anyone who got it. Um, there wasn't much they could do in terms of treatment, although they, they did try to eat molasses mixed with anvil dust. And uh, you may be asking, wh- where, would they, uh, where would they acquire anvil dust? So they would actually go down to their local blacksmith, and they would collect the iron dust that would flake off when the blacksmith's anvil got hot. They would bring that home, throw it in some molasses, and down the hatch it went. Mm-hmm. And if that wasn't enough, you could pair that iron butter with a nice glass of whiskey mixed with either salt or rattlesnake meat. Mm-hmm. And since this is a respiratory illness, you could take a page out of the asthma treatment playbook and stuff your pillows with rabbit tobacco. Uh, The next treatment is a little graphic, so if you don't like to talk about blood and stuff, you can skip ahead 30 seconds. Now, there was this one report from eastern Tennessee where they decided it would be a good idea to collect the blood that the patient was coughing up. So hold on to all that blood, mix it into an ice pack, and then put that bloody ice pack on the patient's chest and just let it sit there and they believe that doing that would prevent another hemorrhage okay so you're sitting there with your own blood and an ice pack on your chest and then also practice from Tennessee which is believed to have Native American roots the patient would have to sniff fumes from the spray of a skunk that would be set loose in the patient's room okay and it just gets continually worse because After that, they might also remove the scent bag from the skunk and hang it in the doorway and poke a hole in it and let the skunk fluid drip out onto the floor of the patient's room. How gross is that? That's so bad. Um, And if your whole family had TV and you guys were just all quarantined together, you might also fry up some skunk and just feed it to everybody for dinner. Okay. Uh, I hope you guys are still with me after that. We have a lot to go. Um, Typhoid fever has always been an interesting one to me. It has a fascinating history. If you haven't heard the Typhoid Mary story, it's covered in a lot of podcasts. So um, just search that and, and something good will come up. But anyway, typhoid fever... Uh, In the 1880s in Tennessee, it goes back to that miasma theory, okay? The locals thought that the typhoid fever outbreak happening in their area was due to poisonous vapors in the air, and they were trying to figure out where that bad air was coming from. And so what they decided was that it was probably coming from tree stumps that soured or just from other stuff rotting away in the woods, And so what they decided to do was set the woods on fire, okay? To prevent typhoid fever from afflicting your family, you could spread lime throughout your home, 
which is like the first pleasant thing I've encountered in all of this research. Um, and it's not far off, you know, lime does have a cleansing factor to it, I think. Um, you could also add pine knots to your drinking water. You could hang some onion on the walls, and you would need to eat a lot of poke salad, which I had to look up and actually don't do that because it's poisonous. Um, also, the heroic treatments that I mentioned in part one were used pretty frequently for typhoid fever, and those are things like puking, purging, and sweating. Um, they would also consume that castor oil turpentine mix, um, followed by a dose of buttermilk. And then after that, you could slice a chicken in half and put half of it on the soles of your feet to pull the fever out. Got it? Got that? Great. <laughs> All right, here's a topic that'll probably make some of you cringe. Eye care. I'm really weird about my eyes. I don't like people getting near my face. I'm, I'm very weird about like things getting in my eyes. I can't wear contacts. I, it's weird. Um, so yeah, eye care. Um, in Southern Appalachia, they had this broad term they would use, uh, sore eyes, which um, it usually meant pink eye, but sometimes it was actually trachoma, which is a chronic and highly contagious form of conjunctivitis. And conjunctivitis was a prevalent problem in Southern Appalachia for a long time. And it sounds like it absolutely sucks. Uh, some of the symptoms of conjunctivitis are light sensitivity, inflammation of the follicles of the eyelids, constant tearing, and if it got really bad, the formation of a membrane on the eye and scarring of the cornea, which causes blindness. I don't know about you all, but that makes me absolutely squirm in my seat. Um, but this next part is amazing. <laughs> they figured that the best thing to do was wash out the eyes, right? In some kind of solution. The way we, you know, like a contact solution. But they didn't have contact solution. Um, <laughs> so what they might use instead were chestnut leaves, lemon rinds, catfish gall, water of the first rain in May, snow water, slippery elm inner bark, Epsom salts, human urine, human breast milk, uh, coffee and alum, boric acid, or water from a mule trough. I'm going to say a couple of those again. Here is what they would put in your eye solution if you got conjunctivitis. Human urine, breast milk, boric acid or water from a mule trough <laughs> you, you, wow it's so bad in southern appalachia it was believed that if you looked at someone with a sty that was enough to catch it and develop a sty yourself so you needed to really make sure that you didn't look anybody in the eye if they had a sty. But if you did, and you got one, you could rub your eye with a tail of a black cat or a gold wedding ring, or you could be swept across the face with a broom nine times. You might also want to rub an egg white, breast milk, salt water, or fat meat directly on the sty. Um, 
So those are the issues of the eyes, but what about skin problems? Because those are pretty common too. Everybody gets burns, rashes, cuts, blemishes, all that good stuff. So what if you get a boil? I kind of don't know what a boil is, uh, and I'm not going to look it up because I think it's probably kind of gross. Um, but everyone had them, apparently, in the 1800s, simply because they didn't have great hygiene. Uh, indoor plumbing was not a common feature. Heating up bath water was a pain. And so they just didn't bathe regularly. And they also didn't wash their clothes as frequently as we can now. And so that was just a recipe for clogged pores and bacterial infections. And so what you needed to do was slap a piece of raw meat right on that boil or a biscuit soaked in sweet milk, wilted cabbage, or maybe some cow manure. Um, if you don't have a boil, that's great, but you might have a burn. How do you guys like to deal with burns? I'm pretty clumsy. Um, like, I'm terrible at pulling things out of the oven, so... I like to have aloe plants all over the house for emergency burn treatment. Uh, I've found vitamin E to be helpful as well. But in southern Appalachia, they used um, potato, soda, vinegar, butter, and balm of Gilead. Or if you could get your hands on some water from the first snow in March, that was really tops. You could also situate your burned appendage close to another heat source, like an open fire, because they thought that that would pull the fire out of the burn. Or you could see a burn doctor or a fire doctor, and these guys could talk the fire out of you. They could talk the burn out of you. And this kind of goes back to faith healing. So these uh, fire doctors were probably like religious leaders, and the talking the fire out was some sort of prayer usually recited three times. There's that number three again. And this is kind of an interesting detail, but it was believed that someone could only teach three other people how to talk the burnout. And those three people had to be of the opposite sex as the person teaching. So it's just a strange little side note, you know. They, it's, um, it's, it was a skill that apparently you could pass down but only to three people and only of the opposite sex. Okay. Now, um, if you don't get a lot of burns, that's great. Um, but you probably cut yourself every now and again, right? Like paper cuts, just handling scissors the wrong way or chopping something. I don't know. Um, if that happens, just pour a nice little kerosene turpentine combo right on the cut and be sure to finish it off with some salt. That is going to feel really good. Um, if it's bleeding pretty badly, you might need to stop it with felt scraped from a hat, some cigarette rolling paper, or some chimney soot. Or if you've got them, just use some cobwebs to stop that bleeding. I love how many uses they found for cobwebs. I feel like I have been very wasteful when it comes to cobwebs. Now in the coal regions, it was common to use something called bug dust. To put on cuts and that's a paste made of pulverized coal and axle grease nice right and if you needed additional care you could try dog saliva carbolic acid or iodine by the way if you're just dealing with dry skin you could try some earwax which conveniently can also be used for wait for it chapped lips just, th just throw some earwax on those dry lips of yours. 
And if you were having issues with acne, we've all been there. You just needed a little urine. Mm-hmm. Just a little urine or maybe some stump water. Okay. Uh, dew from the first day in May. Or a good old-fashioned cow manure facial which you really have to be careful with because apparently if you leave that cow manure on your face for too long, your skin will turn green. Guys, now you have a fun fact for your dermatologist the next time you go. You know what else is gross? Lice. Lice are gross. And uh, kids are always bringing lice home, you know? Kids are always sick and and bringing home gross stuff. And so when that happens, here's what you have to do. You can mix lard or goose grease with kerosene, calomel, camphor, turpentine, or bluestone. And if you don't have any of that, just wash them, wash their hair with the water of the first rain of May. Those good old lice-obliterating May showers, you know. Um, And if your kid gets lice in August, I'm really sorry for you. Um, (laughs) um, Camphor, um, I'm laughing at so many of these, but I had to look this one up and actually good on them because that's made synthetically now because it's actually very helpful for um, treating skin irritation. It's even FDA approved. Not that that means, you know, much. But, um, but yeah, camphor. So they were on to something with that one. Uh, not so much with the kerosene, though. That seems like a bad thing to put on your kid's noggin. Um, a better use for kerosene is obviously insect bites or tobacco juice directly from the mouth onto the bite or some raw meat, castor oil, mud, ammonia, or turpentine. And if none of that calmed your bite, you could find any three herbs, rub them together kind of vigorously in your hands, and then apply them to that insect bite. This works for stings as well, like a bee sting. Um, Now, I know we're kind of spending a lot of time on the skin stuff here, but it is our biggest organ, and a lot of things can go wrong with it, like poison ivy. And... (laughs) The thing about poison ivy is that people in Appalachia used to believe that eating the leaves of the plant could build up your immunity to it. This is very wrong. Not safe. Could potentially kill you. Please don't eat poison ivy. But I will say I kind of see the logic, right? Like we say that your kids should play in the dirt to build up their immune system. I could see how you might think that eating the leaves helps you build immunity to them but not the case like I said please don't eat poison ivy um so yeah poison ivy and insect bites those are bad but uh snake bites and mad dog bites those are really bad you know um which by mad dog I'm guessing they mean like a diseased dog so um right off the bat you've got to get that poison out of there um This is unpleasant, too, so skip 30 if you don't want to hear. Um, But honestly, if you've hung in this long, you're probably fine. So, animal bites. Mm, They would split a live chicken or frog apart and then bind it directly onto the wound. And that was believed to draw out the poison. 
Plan B would be to throw some raw meat on the wound. And for me, plan Y or Z would be cutting slits across the open wound and sucking out the poison by mouth. Mm -hmm. Follow up with the usual kerosene, turpentine, or whiskey. Uh, Lord knows you'd need some of that at that point. Or the other thing you could do was use something called mad stones. Mad stones. And I'm not going to get into this one um, because after looking them up, I feel like they could almost have their own episode. That's very interesting. So just um, look that up on your own if you're curious. It's mad stones, like M-A-D. So yeah, that's enough skin stuff though. Let's talk about teeth. I think I mentioned in episode one that dental care was hard to come by in Southern Appalachia, and I, I still is, I imagine, in some parts, just like other health care. Um, that's an ongoing issue. Um, but one of the biggest problems was simply lack of toothbrushes. Um, you could maybe buy a hog hair toothbrush at a general store, but more likely you probably had to make your own with materials like birch twigs, black gum, sassafras, or willow. And it's not like these brushes held in there for a long time. It's something you'd have to dispose of and like make a new one regularly, which, you know, that's tedious and that that's time consuming. And these people had enough work to do as it was. And so not a lot of um, hygiene. And so naturally toothaches were prevalent. And to treat a toothache, you might use tobacco smoke. Just hold that in your mouth. A sip of red oak bark decoction. Or swish whiskey in your mouth. That one's good. Uh, You could try ragweed leaves, cinnamon, persimmon juice, or a cotton ball soaked in turpentine, kerosene, or paragoric. Uh, Paragoric, I don't know, I forgot to look up the pronunciation. P-A-R-E-G-O-R-I-C. That, my friends, is opium. That one probably did the trick, at least temporarily. Um, But they also needed material to fill cavities with. So they would use salt. Just throw some salt in that cavity. Uh, Cow manure, spider webs, aspirin, burned alum, dried and pulverized buckeye skin, or crushed puffballs. If you were more into that magico-religious route, you would probably go and carve a cross into a beech tree, draw some blood from your jaw, put some of that blood on a cross, uh, pick the tooth with a splinter from a tree that had been struck by lightning, drive a nail into a tree, say a Bible verse before sunrise every day for three days, and finally, bore a hole into a tree right above the patient's head and then stuff a lock of the patient's hair in the hole. That's a lot. (laughs) Uh, To stop a toothache along these same lines, you might carry a bone from a hog's head around in your pocket. Oh, and this one's really important. Trim your nails only on Fridays or never on Fridays. Wear a little vial of nutmeg around your neck. And by God, whatever you do, always put the left shoe on first to avoid a toothache. Uh, There's also a section in here about tooth extraction, but guys, I just can't. I'm sorry. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, I saved the best tooth-related ailment for last, I think. This one is wild. This is about babies teething, right? That's... I hear that's just the worst. Uh, I'm not a parent. I've never been through the teething process, except, of course, when I was a a baby. Um, But if you are suffering from a teething spawn, here's what you can do. You need to make that baby a little teething necklace. You need to use stuff that it can chew on. You know, like bacon rind, a mole's foot, preferably the left back foot, very important, Uh, nutmeg, a little bag of roly-poly bugs, rattlesnake bones, or (laughs) red ants. Yeah, teething baby, just feed it some red ants. That'll definitely stop the crying. Uh, If none of that is successful, uh, you've got to rub the baby's gums with the brain of a rabbit. The brain of a rabbit. And for you superstitious ones out there, You can write the baby's name, D-O-B, and the date they started teething on some paper. You can either hide that paper or you can hang it on a wall, and that'll do it. That'll make the teething stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it were me, I might try that one first and uh, save the ants as a last-ditch effort. But uh, like I said, I'm not a parent. Um, We're going to talk more about babies later in part three. Yeah, there's a part three. But for now, let's talk about the nervous system. Let's talk about headaches. Everyone's had a headache. Um, you can start by tying a really tight bandana around your head, okay, like really tight, and then rub some lemon skin on your temples and on your forehead, which that's okay. That sounds kind of nice. Um, but then you might need to take a drink of some hot salt water to induce vomiting because you got to get that headache sickness out of there. You can follow that up with a spoonful of salt on top of your head. Be sure to drink plenty of coffee. Wear a garland of rosemary. Uh, Put some onion on your head. And then scarify your temples. Scarify. I I don't think it's a word. Um, But what it means is you need to cut little slices into your head. Let some of the blood out. Please don't do that. That's crazy. That's really bad. Um, more super, uh, superstitious remedies, you can rest your head on a pillow with a knife or a pair of scissors under it to cut the pain. You can drink water from a creek running east to west as long as you do that before sunrise. Also, never break apart a bird's nest or burn hair clippings. I know you guys do that sometimes. So cut it out. Um, and then what about the musculoskeletal system? A lot can go wrong there, too, like broken bones. Uh, Fun fact, I've never broken a bone. And I knocked on wood when I wrote this, and I knocked on... Oh, man. It was me, Twyla. Um, I have to knock on wood because I don't want to break a bone. Um, But the problem was, in other parts of the world, there were doctors who knew how to properly reset bones. But in southern Appalachia, not so much. So if you broke a bone, you might be dealing with the residual effects of that break 
for the rest of your life. So you might have like soreness, limping, stuff like that forever. If you were able to get a bone reset, um, afterwards they would throw it in a cast made of red clay mixed with vinegar and sometimes ground limestone, uh, which sounds very crafty and kind of complicated. Um, and if your injury turned out to <laughs> be just a sprain, they would tell you to just put as much pressure on it as soon as you could. Whoops. Now, have you all ever woken up in the morning with a crick in your neck? If you're over 25, I feel like the answer is yes. These things just start to happen. And you know what you can do the next time that happens? Find yourself a pig farm. Okay, and find a stretch of the fence where a hog has recently scratched himself. And just go up to that spot and rub your neck there. <laughs> um, right, and then it wouldn't hurt to also tie a piece of red flannel cloth around your neck. Okay, um, you might just be dealing with a crick in your neck, or if it's more serious, you might have arthritis. I'm not there yet, but I know a lot of people that deal with it. And sounds terrible. Um, there are a lot of things they did in southern Appalachia to treat what they called rheumatism, arthritis, uh, but the one that really stood out to me was this. Bee stings. People would purposefully go out and disturb a beehive and stand there and let the bees sting them repeatedly for as long as they could physically take it. I had to sit with that one for a minute. That's that's something else. And folks, that's going to do it for part two of our Appalachian Folk Medicine series uh, that we've been working through here. I love this stuff. I think it's so fun, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Now, I do have a couple other stories in the works, um, a few things that have actually surfaced back up in the headlines recently. So we'll get back to some other stories before too long, but like I said, there will be a part three of this series as well. And in that one, I'm going to talk about a few more ailments, but I'm also going to tell you all about some of the, quote, doctors that were around to, quote, treat all these ailments. So that'll be fun. So stay tuned. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>